everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Jim Marty here. Hey, Jim, it's Larry Mishkin. I'm here as well with the Hoban Law Group, but today I am actually in Longmont, Colorado. Right here actually means here today. Right. I'm in the famous barn, and for those of you that don't know of the barn, go to the website, and you'll see some pictures that are going to get posted. Yeah. But this is the type of deadhead man cave that most of us always dream about having. And so uh, being out in Colorado for a couple of days, I was only too happy to make the pilgrimage and see it firsthand. It's quite a sight. Well, I have, I'm fortunate enough to have a nice barn, and I put up some plywood fiberboard, which is uh, very friendly for hanging up all the posters I've collected over the many years of going to concerts. So welcome to the barn, Larry. Glad to have you here. Glad to be we here. Have a beautiful day in Colorado. It's a nice summer day, although we might get a thunderstorm this afternoon. And after we get done with this, Larry and I are going to head up to Red Rocks to see Susan Tedeschi and Derek Trucks, right? And Derek Trucks. And I know we like to talk business and then music, but I think in this instance, we're going to have to talk music first for a minute. And uh, Tedeschi Trucks are really starting to come into their own. And even I find that my son's generation and his crew, they love it. Older people love it. And how can you not? Susan Tedeschi is such an amazing talent that we could just talk about her for half an hour, her voice range and her guitar playing. And when she does... Angel from Montgomery, it brings a tear to your eye. She's that good. And if it weren't for Derek Trucks, that's all anybody would be talking about. And this is just one man's personal opinion. I think Derek Trucks is the greatest guitar player alive today. And he's just so amazing. He doesn't do anything, but just kind of sits there. Half the time, he's almost hiding behind the drum kit. And I wait for him to show him on the big screen and watch him play that slide guitar. It's amazing. And just be able to see him at Red Rocks. This will be my first time back there, Jim, in 35 years wow. since I saw the Grateful Dead there in 1984. The last night I was there, they broke out Dear Mr. Fantasy. Wow. Wow. Well, this will be my third Red Rocks show this year. <laughs> I got to see Widespread Panic there at the end of June. They played a great show. And then I saw Phil and Friends there at the end of May. But I'm looking forward to tonight. I am thinking we're going to hear some Allman Brothers songs since really now that the Allman Brothers have disbanded since Dwayne died a couple years ago. Greg. Greg Allman. Yeah. Dwayne's a couple years gone ago. for a while. Yeah, they're both gone now. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so this is one of the outlets to keep Allman Brothers music alive. It is. And they're just tremendous. They played a few dead songs in the past. They covered Mr. Charlie and Sugaree. And it makes me wish that there could have been a time when we could have heard the Grateful Dead with Susan Tedeschi actually singing for them. Right. That'd be and, good. and how amazing that would be. Yes, I love Jerry's voice. I love Bobby's voice. But I'm not here to give any grief to Donna Jean. God love her. She was an integral part of it all, too. But Susan Tedeschi is just a, a talent on another level. So very excited about that tonight. Yeah, I'm we sure we'll we're heading up there here shortly. Indeed. See, for me, you can't get to Red Rocks early enough. <laughs> I'll get up there. If it's a Sunday show, I'm going to cook breakfast and leave right after breakfast. And you hang out on the steps. If you have GA tickets, you can hang out on the steps and be one of the first ones in and get prime seating. So looking forward to heading back to one of my favorite spots on the planet. Yeah. But we should talk some politics in marijuana. Yeah. Where we're at today, Jim, is that on Tuesday, I believe it was of this week, we had a rather historic hearing in the Senate. And not historic in the sense that years from now they'll be teaching about it in school, although maybe they will. But historic in the sense that the Senate Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs Committee, headed up by a Republican, Senator Mike Crapo of Indiana, actually hosted a hearing on the banking issue with cannabis, uh, kind of in conjunction with the fact that in the House, the Safe Banking Act 
has passed committee and, and we're waiting for the uh, the house as a whole to take it up and vote on it because they're going to be doing that soon the hope was that the senate would in fact debate it maybe why one of the reasons this was so interesting was just a week or two ago senator crapo said that he would not hold a hearing on this he's the head of that committee he said he would not hold a hearing on this because until the government makes it legal it's premature there's no need to do it and it's just you know giving a little too much attention to the cannabis industry so you know first of all i think that you know the first thing to talk about is that a senate a republican run committee in the senate was even willing to address the issue at all yes well having been going to washington dc for at least the last five years to lobby congress on cannabis issues with the ncia national cannabis industry association it's a tough sell in Washington. marijuana is a tough sell in washington a lot of people think it's a controversial vote i heard i'm not sure if it's from a reliable source or not but that nancy pelosi doesn't want to have any votes hit the floor of the house before the 2020 presidential election she doesn't want to have to put her members out there on what some people consider a controversial vote i think my opinion is Trump would sign a marijuana bill if it hit his desk, as he did the farm bill at the end of last year, basically legalizing hemp. So, um, yeah, I don't know that we're going to see much activity of any kind out of Washington, D.C. until after the 2020 election. You know, having been there many times and anybody who watches the news or follows politics in Washington, D.C., doing the right thing comes in about fifth or sixth place. There's so many other interests and priorities that people have. And I think I've said it on this show before, but my opinion is that Washington D is not just gonna hand us a marijuana industry. We're going to have to fight for it. We're gonna have to pay for it. There'll probably be a federal excise tax and there'll be other aspects that are not monetary, social justice issues, carve outs for minorities, access to capital for minorities. It is the Christmas tree effect. That to get a large bill to pass, something to happen in Congress will take uh, a little bit here, a little bit there, ornament on the Christmas tree here and there. So uh, it is encouraging. There are still a lot of people who think marijuana is harmful, but I think we've seen the social aspects and discussed them thoroughly on this show, that we haven't seen a rise in fatalities and marijuana-related traffic fatalities and there's also evidence that in the states that have legal marijuana, opioid overdoses have gone down. So, you know, personally, our personal opinions here, of course, are that it's a harmless drug that many people enjoy and should be legal. I felt that way since I was in college back in the 70s. So we'll see. But I think we could all take a good long nap and not miss anything between now and November of 2020. I think you're probably right. There was a lot of question afterwards as to how serious the approach was in the first place. As Senator Crapo did say, that they were trying to see if they could find a way to address the issues. Um, on the other hand, he also said that he does not intend to hold any additional hearings on the subject matter. So my sense was that they didn't get it all done. I think that it was also an opportunity to allow certain people to, to get up and to talk and to have an opportunity to, uh, you know, to say the things they wanted to say. And one of them was a gentleman named Garth Van Meter, who comes from, I forget which one of his groups is more prohibitionist, and they're they're cautioning against it. And basically, you know, Mr. Van Meter's position is that what we've done here is we're in the middle of a drug crisis. 
we're actually, you can say, whether we want to promote an increased drug use during an addiction crisis or discourage drug use and help people find recovery and healing. However, as you've heard us talk about on this show, and as many, many people have talked about, a number of experts are exactly looking to marijuana to be the means by which people find recovery and heal from the harmful effects of opioids and the addiction that's trapped many of these people for a long, long time. And the ability to use marijuana to make that transition is a very, very powerful thing for the people who have actually done it and who have found that. Uh, you know, tell this to people who are undergoing chemotherapy and can't eat a meal and have horrible nausea. And the only thing that saves them is they get their marijuana brownie once a day and it gives them an appetite and it lets them go out and engage. So when Mr. Van Meter, the name of his group is Smart Approaches to Marijuana, makes a statement like that, in my opinion, it's disingenuous. I'm not saying, you know, that, that he's not saying he's entitled to his opinion, certainly. Um, but it seems to me to be more of these general scare tactics that we've all heard our whole life about all the bad things marijuana could do. Uh, and why should we make one more substance legal when we already have too many and people are, are harming themselves. And and I guess my response to it is, is because as you've seen here in Denver, Jim, if people are even gonna just switch from alcohol to marijuana, the, the social effects that have happened in this state have been overwhelming. Right, we haven't seen a lot of negative consequences. But we don't have an opioid crisis, in my opinion, in Colorado. It's not on the front page of the paper. We don't have people dying every day. I mean, I could be misinformed and I'd be happy to hear the other side, but. I think it's pretty well known that the states with legal marijuana have less of an opioid problem than states that have still have prohibition on, on cannabis and cannabis products. You're right. So here, there's one little last little passage we can talk about here, which really sums up the whole idea of what's going on. And so the one Senator Brian Schatz came in and he actually spoke about research barriers for marijuana and wanted everyone to know that he had co-sponsored bipartisan legislation that would address the issue and would actually allow research to be conducted. And then our friend Mr. Van Meter came back in and said, well, if the marijuana industry was really concerned about research, then I don't think they would be selling some of those extremely high potency products. Well, it's that kind of a statement that throws all of this off track. The marijuana industry and many, many people who are advocates of marijuana have been begging for years and years and years to be allowed to do research. And the government, both Republican and Democrat, year after year after year has said, no, we're not gonna allow it at schedule one, and so we're not gonna do it. I have no idea what correlation he's trying to make between wanting to do research and high potency products, but if they were really concerned about the effect of those high potency products, again, they would be allowing the research to go forward. You can't say we're not going to allow research, but oh, we've got all of these terrible problems with it if you're not going to let you know, the research go forward and actually prove it. So, and all, all this is on the very controversial topic of whether to allow state legal marijuana businesses to have access to banking and checking accounts. Right. And what a lot of these senators say, both, again, Republican and Democrats, is that they recognize that this is a problem. They do recognize that the industry needs to have banking. They do recognize that it has to pivot away from being an all-cash business, and in order to really become the the huge business that it has the potential to be, there's no reason why uh, the members of that industry shouldn't be entitled to all of the same services as any other industry out there. But I think what you said before, nobody's going to go around claiming that they get political bonus points for coming out in favor of the marijuana industry. Right. It's considered a controversial vote. It's not controversial to me or you. Sure. For a lot of people, if you're a, 
a legislature from Utah or Indiana and you know, maybe the buckle of the Bible belt. Uh, maybe it is a controversial vote that'll hurt you with your base, which, by the way, is, I think, number two on the list of what to do in Washington. Number one is, will it help me get reelected? Number two is, will it offend my political and donor base? And the list goes on. About, you get to five or six, you get to do the right thing. And, you know, yeah. they'll do the right thing, but only after many, many other criteria are, are met. I know that sounds cynical, but as uh, to paraphrase uh, Winston Churchill, uh, <laughs> a representative republic, democracy like we have is the worst system on the planet, except for all the others. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. So. Well, we're going to have lots more to talk about this as it goes forward. And it's something that we're going to keep tracking. I know that the House is talking about moving uh, perhaps on the Safe Banking Act, so we're going to keep an eye on that. As other states come online here, uh, there's going to be a lot for us to follow. I know Missouri applications are coming due very soon. I'm working on a few of those. I know, Jim, you're involved in Missouri. Great state of Missouri. Absolutely, my home state. So it's uh, about a year from now uh, before the medical program is actually delivering cannabis to patients. But applications go in in august license will be issued october november and we'll be growing legal marijuana in the show me state yep very excited about that so to pivot back to our second favorite topic of music i think that uh tedeschi trucks if you haven't ever listened to them go out and listen to them you need to hear their music because they're that good and I couldn't be more excited to see them tonight. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, Jim, is something that's making the rounds right now is the new documentary by Tran Anastasio. And I don't know if you've heard about it yet or seen it. I have not. It's really fascinating. I have not seen it. Some of my sons and their friends have seen it. And I, I you know, like anything else, you don't want to ruin it for anybody who hasn't seen it. It gets into you know, a lot of who Trey is and what he's all about, but it really examines, I believe, the drug abuse problems that he had and, and the demons that he had and most importantly though i think that at the end of the day it comes out as a as a story of victory because of how trey was able to shake those demons and put himself where he is today at the same age jerry was when he died only stronger than ever right that's the been the talk of the summer is that trey is now older than jerry was when jerry died yep and he sure looks like he's in great health and playing great music you saw fish a couple weeks ago 100 percent, and i mean really it's like he has new new motivation new energy we shouldn't say new he's had it for a while since uh, fish 3.0 came back out but again for me as a as a as a lifelong deadhead and somebody who saw the deads for our documentary when it came out a while back which although ostensibly about the dead ultimately focused on jerry and his heroin problems and in that instance how jerry wasn't able to overcome them mm -hmm. and felt the desire not the desire but the need to keep the machine moving forward so that everybody who was associated with it and dependent on it would be able to keep making you know making a living too and in fish trey and with the help of his bandmates not to say the dead didn't try to get jerry to stop but it's really remarkable what they've done and i'm going to see the documentary very shortly and i think i would probably recommend that everybody see it yeah and and trey talks about it as a you know, life-changing experience when he was emptying the trash at the county fairgrounds with an ankle bracelet on and how he thought about how much he really missed fish yep that's true you know you don't you don't appreciate what you have until it's taken away from you and 
they came back stronger than ever. And along the movie scene, have you ever made it to one of the Dead's annual meetup at the no, movie nights? No, but I think I will because they're going to be doing some of them on the during the days between. Well, they have one night for sure. I think it's on August 1st, so Jerry's birthday, which is coming up. And just as a quick teaser for next week, we will be talking about Jerry's birthday, Jerry's death, the new official Deadhead holiday called the Days Between, and all of that. But uh, today, while we have a few minutes, this is something they started a few years back. In the first year they did it, they showed the Grateful Dead movie, which if you've never seen the Grateful Dead movie, is one of the great rock and roll movies ever made. If you knew nothing about the dead and you just see that movie, you'll come out of there knowing something about the dead. This is a show, I think this is a giant stadium show that they're gonna be showing. And for me, it's just fun to get back out there and to be in, a, in a, an audience-like setting. And yes, it's not really live up on stage and all of that, but that's okay. Cause if you, if you open your eyes and you look up, it's Jerry Garcia looking back at you. And you have a crowd of like-minded folks. And, you know, depending on what movie they have in the theater next door, sometimes it gets interesting over whether the, the fans in the dead movie are cheering louder than the noise from the theater next door. But it's a great thing to do. And it's a great way to keep Deadheads together. I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, I look forward. I think the show is um, the summer of 1990. Could be, that could very well be. Sort of pretty close to the end of the road there. You get into the 90s, you're getting close to the end of the, the Jerry shows. Right. Well, they people say that 90 was the last really great touring year of the band. Or yeah, 91. a lot of people thought they really slept. The last Grateful Dead show I saw was May of 95, so uh, just two, three months before Jerry died. It wasn't, you know, up to caliber of where it had been in the past, and I certainly noticed that Jerry was slipping at that show. That was out in Las Vegas yep. at the Silver Bowl. Yep. And I was at the last four shows, two in St. Louis, two at Soldier Field. And the Soldier Field show, my buddy and I got up to walk out during the Black Muddy River encore because it, it just was, it was more than, it wasn't disappointing. It was sad on a real level to see this man up there stumbling through a song. And Black Muddy River is a fine song. I have no problem with it, but he just couldn't get out of his way. And luckily Soldier Field was big enough that, you know, before we were, all the way got out, you know, Phil came in and saved the day and said, we're not ending the tour on this note and, you know, kicked into a really nice box of rain, which I think if you're ever going to have a final Grateful Dead song of all time played by the band is as good as any. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and sure enough, a month later, Jerry was dead. It explained a lot, but it was very sad. Yeah. And that box of rain was the end. It was. That was it, which is very cool. When they came back for Fare Thee Well, the first song, the first night was Box of Rain. Okay. And they right. pulled it all back together. So. Yep. Larry and I went to the Fare Thee Well, what, three summers ago now or four? Four. Four it was summers in, yeah, ago. Yeah, 2015. For the in Chicago. 50th anniversary. That was a great time. Well, I think uh, we're coming in end of our time slot. But, yep. um, yeah, I look forward to uh, – we could probably do an entire show on how this industry functions – without banking and financial services. Yep. Uh, Larry and I are both experts on that. And of course, we'll have plenty of more music things to talk about. I have to say, it has been a, a great, great summer musically with Fish on Tour, Dead on Tour, Widespread Panic doing a great job, and numerous other bands. J-Rad, all of them. J-Rad, yeah. And you're absolutely right. It's been great. Tedeschi Trucks. Tedeschi Trucks, right. It just keeps getting better and better as the summer goes on. So uh, I don't know about you, Jim, although I'm having a great time here at the barn and could stay here all day. I'm just about ready to make that early entrance over at Red Rock. Can't get there about. too early. Love it. Okay, guys, see you next week. Over and out. From the barn.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a -a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has can of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects network.